Welcome back to Social Anxiety Q&A, where I grab a common question about social anxiety or a question sent to me by you, and I'll give you my personal take on it. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. In today's episode, I'm going to try and answer the question, what is the root cause of social anxiety? For most of us, it's a blur. Maybe you can pick up an event here or there from your memory that you think had an impact on you developing social anxiety, but it goes much deeper than just one or two events in your life. Now, there's a Reddit thread titled, I've Always Been Like This. And this person talks about how for as long as they can remember, they've been terrified of people, although there's no recollection of any event creating this fear. Someone replied to this thread saying that there was probably no event at all, that they've always had it and that it's the way that we are wired. No, no. No, this is when you need to be wary of people's opinions. We are wired for social connection. We are wired to seek out others. We are not wired for isolation and for fear of others. We know this because of, well, science. Now, let's start from the top and get to the final root of it all. The other day, I cringed at how my kids were interacting with each other and with their friends. They were ignoring each other, dismissing each other's feelings, pushing, screaming, calling out names. You're a baby. No, you're a baby. Leave me alone. I wish you were never born. Go away. And then five minutes later, everyone is skipping along, loving each other again. I'm sure you've seen this if you have children or you remember being a kid and not attaching any kind of significance when you were blown off by someone. Because the next day, you are back at their house playing as if nothing happened. It's almost as if at that age, we're immune to social rejection. Now, a piece of me dies inside when I see my kids behaving like this because my social anxiety kicks in, thinking that I need to mend the relationship, address the feelings, and make sure that everyone feels included. But there's no need for any of that because they automatically fix it themselves by moving on. At some point, though, things become a little bit more complicated. Research shows that around the age of five, we develop a sense of reputation. We start thinking about what others think about us. A study concluded that the liking gap, which we discussed in a previous episode, begins when children are five years old, the age at which they first become concerned with other people's evaluations of them, right? And in a good way, It helps us hone our social behavior so that we can feel like we're part of the group and that we can make friends and so on. In fact, five-year-old children start to manage their reputations behaving more generously when they are being observed by others. Now, the dark side of this is that depending upon the environment we're in during our formative years, it can lead to social anxiety and to the loss of our authentic selves. And what I mean by environment is anything we're exposed to regularly in childhood that can have an adverse or positive impact on us. So family, teachers, friends, subculture, religion, to name a few things. So let's imagine a five-year-old that's a bit more concerned about what others think about him. If he has good influences in his life, for example, parents who instill in him a sense of pride and ownership over his actions, and they allow him to freely express himself without any backlash, he will less likely develop social anxiety than if he were to have parents that place high value and importance on appearance, 
proper behavior, achievements, or if he has parents that are overly critical or controlling. This also goes for having teachers that are capable of embracing and applauding someone's individuality and quirks instead of putting those down, which unfortunately happens way too often. So a child that grows up hearing, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be like X, Y, and Z? When are you going to grow up? Or similar phrases will begin to internalize that there's something off with him and that he needs to shut that down. So having people that tell you constantly what they think about you is quite traumatic, to say the least. Additionally, being surrounded by people who are judgmental of others has huge implications. Growing up hearing people judge others that they don't know negatively can make someone internalize the message that, well, everyone is judging everyone else, so of course they're judging me too. And here I am not being good enough. Everything I've just described makes up childhood trauma, a big contributing factor to the root cause of social anxiety. Now, here are a few ways that childhood trauma can manifest in social anxiety later on. One, having difficulty saying what you're thinking without having an emotional outburst or reaction. Two, being afraid to trust anyone or being afraid to be in a committed relationship. Three, an intense dislike or mistrust of authority figures. And four, avoiding certain types of social events or speaking with certain people. So these are just a few things that can happen later on in life if someone experiences childhood trauma. Now, many people mistakenly believe that trauma and, you know, childhood trauma is only related to domestic violence, sexual abuse, tragedies, or big events where there's a definite before and after. The truth is that little t trauma slowly seeps and builds up in us without any awareness of it. It accumulates through time and becomes a part of us that we end up on a Reddit board telling someone on the other end that their social anxiety is probably not related to any event at all and it's just the way that they are wired. Mm -hmm. But in a way, this person is right because social anxiety was wired into that little kid unknowingly so. And maybe because he was more sensitive, more aware, or more insecure, and without the right people around, social anxiety slowly crept in and built up. This is where biological factors such as brain chemistry, brain structure, family history, and temperamental factors such as shyness or introversion can also be attributed to the root cause. Now, as this kid grows up and becomes a teenager, Without intervention, social anxiety will grow with him through bullying, isolation, unhealthy relationships, more trauma. At some point, his self-esteem is going to go down and he's going to start caring way too much about what everyone thinks of him. And for many of us, we know how painful that is and how long that can last in our life. From such experiences, we become scared of being judged for who we are. And so we learn how to wear a mask. And we end up unable to be our authentic selves in adulthood. Instead, we show up as a shell of ourselves to make others comfortable. And so that perpetuates the social anxiety. Because the less we're able to freely express ourselves, the more constricted we get and the more frustrated we are. We're conditioning ourselves around social anxiety. And from that come other emotions we're not too excited about. Shame, sadness, fear jealousy, emptiness, guilt. It's a lot for someone to carry around. 
all of this makes sense, but let's organize it a little bit better so we can see how all of these things stack up. Here are the contributors to the root cause of social anxiety. And as an FYI, it is not necessary that you have all of these, but it's a good starting point to check which ones you can relate to. So the first one is predisposition. So these are the biological factors that include genetic predispositions, brain chemistry, brain structure, family history of anxiety. The second one is the environment, the environmental factors. So external circumstances such as childhood trauma and negative experiences such as bullying and social rejections. The third one is temperamental factors. So individual personality traits and temperaments, you know, for example, being more introverted. And the last one is psychological factors. So these are the cognitive distortions you run into. So thought errors, negative self-image. These all contribute to the root cause of social anxiety. Now, if one were to, hmm, let's say, grow a social anxiety plant, these would be the four essential elements that they would need. And the plant itself would reflect how intensely and how often you experience social anxiety. It might be tiny, you know, still a tiny little seedling that you can't see, which would be great, obviously. Or it could overblow and take up your whole apartment. Now, it's great to gain insights into the things that play a part in your social anxiety, kind of like knowing what ingredients to mix to grow the plant and how those experiences affect you now. So how deep and strong the roots are. But insights won't really explain what's currently driving your social anxiety, right? So just because you can see the plant doesn't mean you know how it's growing. So now that we have more clarity over the root cause, the next burning question you need to ask yourself is, what's keeping my social anxiety alive and kicking? I'm going to answer this question in next week's episode by going all in with the plant analogy because it's important to come to terms with what kind of jacked up water is keeping your social anxiety plant alive. So now that we got to the root cause of social anxiety's origin in this episode, now we need to get to the root cause of why it's still hanging around. So for now, take some time to go through your memories and to truly process them as vividly as you can. Remember the details, the events, and try to connect them to the feelings you have today. See how they're connected to each other. Maybe you're going to get a few aha moments. If you do, I would love to hear them. Until next week on the You Are Worth Knowing podcast. 